0: Please remain standing as you're able as we join in the fundamental confession of faith of the people of God for more than 3,000 years. The Shema, I'll do a little bit in Hebrew, invite you to follow me and we'll join together in the rest of it. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Join me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is through the Gospel of John from Jesus. My children, I will be with you only a little while. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Biblical scholar James Dunn makes an interesting observation about the rabbis in Jesus' day. For a couple thousand, for more than a thousand years, it had been true that the fundamental confession of faith of God's people was the Shema. But in the first century, you found the rabbis writing very little about the Shema instead they began to write and debate about three other topics they would debate about circumcision they would write and debate about keeping dietary food laws and they would write and debate about keeping the sabbath in fact they came up with a list of 1261 ways that you could violate the sabbath and so the question becomes how did they get to majoring on minors If it was true that their fundamental thing was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, how did they drift into these other areas for debate and discussion? How did they become so significant? One of my favorite preachers, John Ortberg, has a theory. He said one of the things that was happening in the first century is that unfortunately rabbis saw that there were becoming less and less a distinction between the way their people acted and the way the world acted and looking to separate themselves. From the world looking to make their identity more distinctive, they focused on things like keeping the Sabbath. We do that, but the world doesn't. Dietary food laws. We don't eat this, but they do. And on circumcision. And they turned the whole issue of identity into a set of uh, prescribed behaviors. How do we today identify God's people? How are we to be known? How are we to be distinct from others? Is it through doctrine? Many teach that if you have right beliefs, then everything else follows. Is it through voting for the appropriate person in November? Or is it something else? Let's hear from Jesus himself about what he said would distinguish his followers from the world. He gathered his disciples together. It was the last week of his life, according to John 13, and we hear in John 13 and Through 17, Jesus' discussions with his disciples. And he told them in John 13, A new commandment I'm going to give you. And at that, their ears would have perked up, their bodies would have leaned forward because they knew what I explained on the video that uh, many of you saw before uh, the service this morning, and that is commandment was like a summary statement. So the Ten Commandments are summary statements of the 613 laws the Jews are to keep. If you keep those ten, more than likely you won't break the other 600. You'll have kept them in essence. And so Jesus was saying, I'm going to teach you how to keep what I've been teaching you for three years, they would have been very attentive to this summary statement. it would have been the main thing. I don't know how many of you have read the last lecture, or maybe you've seen it on YouTube or watched on ABC, when the Carnegie Mellon professors dying of pancreatic cancer decides that he will do what many retiring professors do, he'll give one last lecture. He agreed to do it because he has three small children. And he knew that he would die before they even became teenagers. And he wanted to pass on to them life lessons and what would be significant. And he knew this lecture would be videotaped. This is what he wanted them to know, and it came down in a tape and a book. In a sense, John 13 and following is Jesus' last lecture. He's getting ready to leave, and he wants them to know this one thing, and this is it. A new commandment, he said, I'm giving to you. This is a summary of everything I've taught. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, he said, people will know that you are my disciples. It won't be by dietary food laws or Sabbath observance. It won't be by circumcision. It will be by the fact that you love one another. That was the new commandment. Now the question that I have for us this morning is, how did his followers do at keeping this new commandment? According to scholars, probably the youngest person in the room when Jesus gave this speech was the disciple John, probably the youngest of all the disciples. We know that John went on to write the letters of John in which he told us that love was of God. He called on us to love one another. He reminded us that perfect love casts out fear. And we have this tradition handed on to us by the early church. That as John aged, because all the other disciples died a martyr's death, John spent a good bit of time in prison, but apparently uh, died more than likely of natural causes. But as he got older in Ephesus, when he could no longer walk, they actually carried him to church meetings. And as the only person who had ever remembered uh, Jesus and had been with him as his disciple who was still alive, they were eager to hear from him. And so they would say, John, do you have anything to say to us? And he would say, Little children. Love one another. And they would say, John, is there anything else that you want to pass on to us? He would say, little children, love one another. In fact, that's all he would say at every meeting of the church in his older years. Little children, love one another. How well he had remembered and kept the new commandment. When there was another man who wasn't in that room, but he would become very instrumental in the formation of the church, his name was Paul. He met Jesus after Jesus died on the, and had risen again on the road to Damascus. But John, who had accomplished so much in Judaism, a Hebrew of Hebrews meant he was fluid in Hebrew. Pharisee of Pharisees meant he had done well at keeping the law. Student of Gamaliel meant he was valedictorian. He was at the top. And now he had moved to the top of the Christian movement. But what does he say to the church at Corinth? He says this in 1 Corinthians 13. Even if I speak in tongues, if I don't have love, it's like a noisy gong. If I prophesy and there's no love, not worth a lot. He goes on to say, if I had the faith to move mountains as Jesus had promised, but without love, it doesn't profit me anything. If I would give my body to be martyred or sacrificed, he said, But without love, it wouldn't be anything. And he summarizes at the end of the chapter. Now these three things are going to go on and on and on. Faith and hope and love. And the greatest of these, he says, is love. Did he get it? Did he get the commandment? He did. John got it. Paul got it. What about the people who would come after Paul and John? What about the church? Now that's a question we'll have to answer ourselves and we'll answer it for jesus and we'll answer it for the world we're going to spend 10 weeks looking at how you love one another and part of this is drawn from a book by gerald sitzer by the same title he talked about the time his daughter was a missionary and on a a break from a mission activities she was swimming and in an accident got hit by a boat uh went under knocked out but was rescued spent some time in a hospital some miles away but many miles from home And people she didn't even know very well began to rally around her from the Christian community. And as she talked with her father after her recovery, she said this, These people loved me even though they had no other reason than I just needed to be loved. They didn't even know me, but they loved me. And her father said, that's the church. He said, when the church is functioning right... Nothing else on the planet can rival it for the good that it will do. But then he went on to tell his daughter, on the other hand, when the church is not functioning right, no one else on the planet can do the damage that the church can do don't know if you've uh, gotten word of this, but um, I've gotten it, and I'll be glad to pass it on to you if you need it. But there's a church downtown here that is starting support groups for people who've been burned by churches. People who are trying to recover from the pain that a church inflicted on them that they're still struggling with today. It's important, I guess, that we have those groups. It's unfortunate that we have to have those groups. My hunch little children is They weren't practicing loving one another. And when the church gets out of that and gets into other things, trouble usually follows. great Christian writer of the last century, Sheldon Van Auken, said that the number one best argument for Christianity is Christians. And then he went on to say, and the number one best argument against Christianity is Christians. What they practice. What they do. Do they love one another? Last week Pastor Michael and I talked about what's happened over the last 17 centuries of what we call the Constantinian Church and how we decided we would bring in the kingdom of God through programs and buildings and budgets and preaching and great music and we would do all these things. But Jesus' kingdom will never be brought in by those things. If we are to accomplish what God put us on earth to accomplish, it will be through this. Little children, we will love one another. Because when we love one another, we become, and we go out into the world in that love, we become attractive to people where they are. And eventually they will want to become a part of us because that love, frankly, is irresistible. Because God's created every one of us as human beings to be loved As God, only God can love us. And the only way people ever get a glimpse or a taste of that is through Christian communities who love one another. God intends that every person on this planet be loved the way that God alone can love them. But the only way that's going to happen on this planet is by us loving the way that Jesus loved us. There are a number of commands that are called mutuality commands in the new testament one another's and we'll be looking at about 10 of them over the next several weeks but it will be to the end that we will love each other in such a way that other people will want to be a part of that and when they become part of it they will experience love the way god had it in mind this past week there was a breakfast meeting and pastor uh, adonna and pastor michael and pastor harold and i were there And the keynote speaker was talking about a conference that's coming this summer to San Antonio, which would be really neat. Eugene Peterson, the author of The Message, will be there. Dallas Willard, John Ortberg, a number of wonderful speakers. But the theme is The Jesus Way. And it's based on a book by Eugene Peterson. And in the book, he argues at the beginning that most of churches want to accomplish Jesus' ends. They want to disciple other people. They, they want to convert the world. They want to help bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. They want to make the world a better place. But he said what he notices, according to Eugene Peterson, is the churches want Jesus' ends, but they don't want Jesus' means. They don't want to do it the way he did it. They want to do it through programs and rallies and conferences and buildings and preaching. When Jesus to accomplish his mention, loved 12 men and 7 women. They traveled with him everywhere. He loved them, he taught them, and then he loved and taught the people who were in front of him at the time. Those were his means. And if we think we accomplish Jesus' ends when we don't use his means, we are mistaken. The only way we're going to get done what Jesus wants done is to do it in the way he did it. And that's, little children, by loving one another, loving each other deeply, and then loving those who are brought to us to experience that atmosphere of love. Thirty years ago, I began my ministry as an intern in a church right in the middle of Tobacco Road in Durham, North Carolina. And I'll never forget my first Sunday there. It wasn't necessarily the cars in the parking lot or or, or the the faces that I met. But I remember this, that when I went up to the fellowship hall, there were a a group of men outside smoking. I'd never seen that at a church. And I was a little surprised, but I was glad they had the good sense to smoke outside, that decency. But then when I walked inside the Christian Life Center, just a complete haze of smoke enveloped me. And I thought to myself, I have walked into the fires of hell. Don't these people know that it's against God's will to smoke? Don't they know if you smoke, you're going to hell? Now, I I, I knew there were verses in the Bible against smoking. I'd never found them. Still haven't, but I know they're in there somewhere. You know, maybe those passages about camels or something. And I thought, as I looked at my wife, we are in for a long three years. Let me tell you what happened. spent three years there. In the three years that I was there, I wrecked the pastor's car. In the three years there, I got knocked unconscious trying to skateboard with the youth. In the three years that I was there, my wife had to be hospitalized for a brief period of time because she was allergic to tobacco. In the three years that I was there, as other graduate students, we struggled to make ends meet and we struggled with the stress of studies. But in three years there, those people, some with cigarettes and some without, never left our side. Wherever we were, they were. Whatever we were doing, they were with us. When we were up, they were up with us. When we were down, they were there to bring us up. For three years, once you got below the level of the smoke, you got to the heart. You got to the heart. And for three years, we knew ourselves to be loved deeply. I thought about those years. And I thought about what I would call a group that loves like that. I thought about some sort of name that I could give them for that period of my life. And, and, and I think I've decided what I would call them. The name that I would have for them is this. I'd call them a church. I'd name them a church.